0: I had an enormous amount of ideas sitting, like a well of ideas that could not find its way to me in a way. And when I took the medication, it was like all of this stuff just appeared. I couldn't stop. It was like every day I was sitting down at my piano and I could not stop the you know the momentum so to speak <laughs> and that's what happened it was pretty extraordinary for me because i realized how much i had been missing all those years ADHD
1: rewired episode 341 this is the podcast for those of us with really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. I'm Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training and a coach by design. I'm your host and I have ADHD. ADHD Rewired is a more than just a podcast. We are a community. We are wired for connection and you are not alone. Go to ADHDRewired.com to learn how you can join us in our free secret Facebook group. Get additional resources for every episode, including links to any resources we mentioned on today's show you can support us on patreon sign up for our email newsletter you can request podcast postcards to distribute to your clients and support groups and you can learn all about our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups you can do all of this at our website adhdrewired.com we know that starting is the hardest part so let's get started Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Sharon Ruckman. Sharon is a composer, musician, and author. Sharon started taking piano lessons at age eight. Her music has aired on classical radio stations and several radio stations throughout the United States, Canada, and Australia. Today, she is composing original work for Sonoro, did I pronounce that correctly?
0: Sonoro, Sonoro,
1: correct. okay, which is a musical ensemble which she helped found in 2019. At the forefront of contemporary music performance, the group offers a playful and a romantic mix of classical, jazz, and Latin through a variety of flexible instrumentation to include piano, flute, saxophone, viola, cello, and percussion. Sharon, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: I know when we spoke, um, one of the things that while you wanted to come on the podcast is, you know, you learned not that long ago, right, that uh, you have ADHD. You are um, 70 years old here. Yes. Um, When were you diagnosed?
0: Well, to tell you honestly, it was only about 15 years ago. Uh, I had it all my life. It really impacted me with my school and my music, and I never realized what it was that kept me from actually focusing on anything. It was very difficult for me because I wanted so badly to be able to sit down and practice and and also do well at school. And it was so um, frustrating for me. So I would say about 15 years ago, there was another family member who had it also. And I'd never made the connection. And then I started to look at all of the uh, issues that were associated with it. And I said, that's me. So basically, I went to visit uh, my internist. And I said, I think I have ADHD. I think I've had it all my life. And here's why. And he prescribed some Wellbutrin at the time, because that was still used for adult ADHD.
1: And it still often Uh, is as a uh, primary uh, approach, but it is uh, often still used. Yeah.
0: Right. And it was, I went from sitting still for 15 minutes a day to about 10 hours a day. Wow. And I just, the whole world opened up for me. I said, is this possible? Because I never had this experience before. It was pretty amazing. And I was on this medication, I would say, for about eight years. And then I, realized that it had other side, it had some side effects for me. So I said, I think I'm going to go off. And I was terrified to do that because I didn't want to lose what I had. But I said, I'm going to take a chance. And so it took just as long to get off as to get on, which was actually a couple of months okay. in the making. And when I got off, uh actually, it's almost like my brain recalibrated. Mm. It was fine. I actually continued to write and to be productive. And it was like nothing had ever happened. Hmm. It was pretty extraordinary. Um, So I've been off it now probably, I would say, uh, six or seven years now. And I've been writing more than ever.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. So um, I want to, you know, a couple of things that I'm curious about So in your fifties is when you were diagnosed after a family member, uh, realized that they had it and you kind of related very much, uh, to, to those, um, the symptoms that, that your family member was describing. What were some of those, those symptoms?
0: Yes. So I would say there were several, uh, Associated with the ADHD for me was not only the fact that I was not able to focus on anything, but I had impulsiveness. I also experienced depression, a lot of depression. Uh, I would say that I also had some signs of OCD with it, which were really affecting me because, you know, it takes over your thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult sometimes to... Uh, just think properly. Um, it just gets in the way sometimes. And uh, I would say those were the main things. I'm sure there were other things, impatience, things like that. Uh, but I would say those were the main issues for me.
1: How did the impulsiveness kind of show up for you?
0: That has pretty much gone away. Yeah? Yeah, it really has. And And by the way, the other thing that actually happened with this, which I didn't mention, is that I had words were that were being mixed up. So, uh, there was first letters of words that got almost, um, how do I say one letter of a word, say the first letter Mm -hmm. was sometimes confused with this, with the first letter of the second word. And they almost got, uh, they almost traded places. Mm. I know it's kind of hard to picture, but the thing is that, I was very self-conscious about it and I wouldn't even talk in class because mm. there was something in my speech that also was not, it didn't flow. It was very hard for me to think clearly.
1: It almost sounds like dyspraxia.
0: It was something else. I don't know, but believe it or not, with the Wellbutrin, when I actually got off, it was fine.
1: Huh. That's a, that's a really unusual presentation. You know, it's, it it's, really um,
0: was,
1: you know, you, you mentioned how I uh, feel like after the medication that you were on for about seven or eight years, um, that like things continued, uh, on the positive trajectory, um, which you really, as you said, is extraordinary. And it really is. Cause it's not typical. I know. I
0: can't. My husband is a physician and I asked him about it and he said it was almost like your brain just adjusted to the new brain. It was like it just he says it's not usual. But somehow or another, that's what happened. It just, as I said, recalibrated itself. And I I am actually so grateful because there were so many issues that even if I have still a few remaining, I feel so grateful that I can be productive. That was the big one.
1: One for me, you know, so many, especially with with a, specific with ADHD meds, aren't studied past the age of fifty five. So like, we just don't know. Like, <laughs> is this something that is just unique to you? Is this something that I is could be occurring in an older population? I mean, it's interesting, you know, interesting, but fantastic. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. It's
0: amazing because that was the thing that I was so feared of losing was my focus. That was the biggest, because more than anything, I needed to get back to my composing and I just couldn't, you know, imagine that I would have lost that. I would have had to rethink taking the medication mm-hmm. again.
1: So you mentioned that you started uh, music lessons when you were about eight years old. So you were an undiagnosed kid with ADHD <laughs> yes. and uh, and you said prior to the medication in your fifties, you h- hadn't been able to sort of sit still for more than 15 minutes. Right. 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 How did you practice?
0: Well, I didn't practice very much. That's the problem. <laughs> I was lucky because I had, at least my teachers told me I had a lot of ability and talent. So I could kind of get away with things a little bit. I mean, I would say I could, I mean, more than fifteen minutes is probably an exaggeration, or I should say, fifteen minutes or less. But the but the point is that I couldn't access all of the ideas that I had inside that I want that would help me to compose uh, and to really sit down and be able to work through a piece uh, completely. And that's what I discovered when I went on this Butrin. All of a sudden, I wrote five. CDs in five years. I had an enormous amount of ideas sitting like a well of ideas that could not find its way to me in a way. And when I took the medication, it was like all of this stuff just appeared. I couldn't stop. It was like every day I was sitting down at my piano and I could not stop the, you know, the momentum, so to speak. (laughs) And that's what happened. It was pretty extraordinary for me because I realized how much I had been missing all those years Mm. and never had a chance to, 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 to get out, you know, so to speak.
1: Prior to the medication, did you have a hard time just like sitting down to start working on music and writing?
0: I did. And that's why I felt this huge void inside. I felt such emptiness because I knew what I wanted, but I couldn't get to it. And that was really very sad for me, very depressing, very frustrating. And I just didn't, I knew that there was some place not far away that if only I could reach that, that place, and get over, like jump over the fence a little bit, I would be there, but I couldn't get, it was like physically and mentally couldn't get to that place. It was, it was hard.
1: You, you know, know, it's interesting because I, I've spoken with, with, uh, numbers of people who, who are in their fifties or sixties and say, you know, I've, uh, I've made it this far. Like, why, why does it really matter to, to oh. you know, get, <laughs> even get the diagnosis? Like what, what is it going to matter? Yeah. And I think that's huge.
0: Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. Because this is for me, never would I imagine or even if I had, let's say, a choice that obviously I'd rather have this happen 30 or 40 years ago. But the point is, this is when it happened for me and I have to take it and you know, just grab it by the horns, so to speak, and just say, this is my time. And I have to now be as productive as I can, almost make up for lost time. But I just feel that this is my time to do it. And if I have the opportunity, this is for me, life beginning, you know?
1: Wow. wow. Hmm. You, you said that also uh, prior to uh, the diagnosis, you said you also had um, o- OCD-like Tendencies or OCD-like right. symptoms. Uh, can you, Can you describe that a little bit more?
0: Sure. So it's almost as if my something, and it's very hard to describe, but it's almost like ideas you get in your head. They almost become like this controlling factor. They take over and they almost tell you you can't do something. And it's very, you're always kind of, it's like a battle. You're always fighting it. And that's the thing that I still experience, but I have to constantly work on, you know, getting it out of my head. I know this is a lifelong situation, but that's the part, the struggle, that's the hardest.
1: You know, I, I refer to that, that, that negative voice as our itty bitty shitty committee. <laughs>
0: Right, right. And then it, when that goes away, then another one comes <laughs> along. <laughs> There's always something that that the, the mind clings to. It could be one incident 25 years ago, but it keeps coming back mm. if you don't find a way to let go of it. That's the hardest part.
1: Well, and we know that there are, you know, uh, coexisting and co-occurring disorders often come along with um, ADHD uh, you know, and something that I've been uh, doing a lot of uh, um, work around this this year um, is the role of of complex PTSD and ADHD, um, and and how especially when you've gone through a life of undiagnosed, kind of not knowing why right. you had the struggles that you had, um, right? And it's, right. it really is it is it is a, a deep layered onion that I keep p- pulling back, and I'm like. Wow, like it this is, is such a, a impactful thing. I think the more we understand the role of of uh, trauma throughout our life, um, I think it's right. also a really helpful thing to explore.
0: Right, and and it is by the way traumatic because you're blamed for everything that goes wrong. And basically, I was told I had all this ability and talent, but I couldn't produce the way I wanted to. And that's because of the ADHD, but no one understood it at the time. And there was guilt involved and blame. My mother threatened to have me quit piano lessons. They had expectations that I couldn't meet. That's what happened.
1: Mm. You shared a story with me um, when, we were, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago about your uncle
0: Yes, my great uncle,
1: a great uncle, a fascinating story. (laughs) What I (laughs) want to do, though, is take a quick break. And when when we come back, I want to start I want to start off uh, after the break with that story, because what a what a neat story this is. So we will be (laughs) right back. Support for ADHD Rewired comes from ADHD Rewired's coaching community, which includes our coaching and accountability groups and our alumni membership community. I want to thank everyone who participated in our two registration events and everyone else who has reached out. I'm excited about the next season of coaching and accountability groups. Our summer sessions just ended and we just finished another fantastic season. Want to join the next one? Go to coachingrewired.com to learn all about our coaching groups. Then click on the big red button at the top of the page to add your name to our winter interest list. So whether you're brand new to the podcast and interested in coaching, or you've even thinking about joining these groups for a while, take that first step And go to coachingrewired.com. For those of you adding your name to our winter interest list, sometime this fall you'll get an email explaining how you can register. Registration is by invitation only. Go to coachingrewired.com and click the big red button. That's coachingrewired.com. And this podcast is brought to you by our patrons over at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. Do you love ADHD Rewired? Have you been listening for months or years? If you've discovered us in the last few months, have you been binging hundreds of episodes in our catalog? If you listen week after week, I hope that means you are finding real value in each episode. While podcasts are free to you, the listener, This podcast costs around $700 a month to produce, and that doesn't include the cost to replace equipment as needed. If you are in a position to show your support for this podcast financially, you can do that by going to ADHDrewired.com and click the Patreon tab at the top of the page. Whatever you can give, I appreciate your support. And when you support ADHD Rewired on Patreon, you get cool perks too, starting at just $5 a month. More and more patrons are becoming patrons because they want to take part in our monthly coaching calls, which you can do at just $25 a month. For those of you who have been giving at the $25 a month level, your next group coaching call is on Tuesday, September 22nd at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. If you are listening to this podcast on the day it came out, That is today. Our group coaching call for our patrons are every fourth Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. And if you give just $10 a month, you can get access to the recordings of those coaching calls, plus a bunch of other extra content like webinars and occasionally recordings of me playing piano. Plus, if you would like to get ad-free episodes for just $5 a month, let us know by voting on our Patreon page at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. But if right now you are not able to support the podcast financially, which I totally understand, consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast player. That support helps other people find this podcast. All of your support is appreciated. To become a patron, go to ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. Patreon is P A T. R E O N. That's ADHD rewired.com slash Patreon. And thanks. All right. We are back with Sharon Ruckman. So, Sharon, tell us the story about your great uncle who was a virtuoso. Tell us the story.
0: Violinist. Violinist. So, Rudy was the only serious other serious musician in the family. And when I was growing up, I heard a lot about him. Unfortunately and tragically, he died at age 25 at the Chicago World's Fair in one of those sightseeing planes on his way to LA. He was doing some gigs there. He was actually a concert master on one of the radio stations in LA. And uh, everything I heard about him just so enthralled me. I wanted to know more about this man. And so growing up, I heard little bits and pieces of him. And then when I was older and also dealing with ADHD, of course, I became more involved in doing research on him. But let's go back 25 years ago. And 25 years ago, for some reason, I received his sheet music. And this was a relative who lived in my, in Connecticut. And they had because they had a connection with uh their mother and Rudy, it's a long story, but the point is there was sheet music there. They dropped it off one day and I touched <laughs> it and I just felt it. I wanted to know what that what the what that was like to hmm. have that sheet music that he played. So that was the beginning was of Was this- it music that
1: he played or that he wrote?
0: No, he didn't write anything. He played from the sheet music. And when he concertized, he used a lot of that sheet music in his in his recitals, in his program. So anyway, after that, over 25 years, imagine, there were other things that started coming to me. There were relatives. So Rudy's brother's sons and second cousins who had documents of his. Matter of fact, one of them had about 150 documents. His father was also a violinist, not very serious, but he saved everything of Rudy's. So. I've obviously connected with those people and there were documents of the violence he purchased and photos of Rudy and his recitals and everything that I could possibly think of. Uh, There were letters between my grandfather and Rudy when my grandfather was trying to make a go of it in the country and Rudy supported him. And I said, I need to know more about this man. So I did my own research And I did about three years of research. At the end of that research, a month later, because I had written a lot of blogs on my website about Rudy. When the research ended, I heard from an unknown person. This was a young woman who had just purchased a viola on Etsy. And remember, my great uncle was a virtuoso violinist, but his first instrument was a viola. And she, in that email, presented pictures of what this viola looked like. One of the things was a photo and it was a photo of Rudy's original. It was an original receipt that was in the viola case of the purchase done in 1923. Under that was a chin rest of that Rudy had on his viola. And in it was etched Rudolf Fuchs, 1920. I said, I need to buy this instrument immediately, okay? So I arranged to buy it, and it was a beautiful instrument. Matter of fact, it was perfect for me because it was the right size. A lot of violas can get very large. This one was quite small, which was perfect, because I think he played it when he was 10 or 11 years old. Anyway, my daughter said to me, Mom, you realize you have to play this instrument? And I said, you're right, because I play the cello and the piano. So I'm taking lessons now. Uh, I'm into my fifth year of playing, but it is stunning, this instrument. And I have a wonderful teacher. And a year later, I received another email from someone that I didn't know. And this man found me and he told me that he had a recording of Rudy's, uh, one of, one of two, uh, recordings that Rudy had of 1929. And he actually was a record collector and he found it somewhere on a table in New York. And he said to me, you know what? I'm going to send you a copy of this recording. So he sent me a CD. I said, listen, I want to buy the record because it was an original and beautiful condition. And I bought it. And it was the first time that I ever heard Rudy play.
1: What was that like for you?
0: Just unbelievable. I had chills up and down my body. He was such an, he had such emotion in his playing and he, you could tell that he was just a good person in a way because there was such feeling in his playing. And then what I decided to do is I said, I need to write a book about this man because I need to tell the story. It was so amazing. And, you know, people have different ideas about what you know, what spiritual world is like, but I have to tell you one amazing experience. I was practicing in one of my rooms in my house with my, it was a sunny day. Okay. All of a sudden I look the window through the window comes an orange ball of light. It was unbelievable. It was like nothing i had ever seen. And then as soon as I realized what was going on, it disappeared. And I looked outside, nothing had changed on the outside. The trees were still in place. Everything was the same. But I, I've i had different moments, even dreams about Rudy that have been quite real to me. And it's just been the whole thing is this connection has been so powerful to me.
1: When you get into something, you get really into it. Huh?
2: <laughs>
0: anyway.
1: <laughs> you know has has that been always been a, a trait of yours where like when when you are when you sort of stumble upon something that just kind of sparks your brain's interest Um
0: Well, it's like that with music, but I've never experienced anything like this in my life because think about how this transformed. It basically transformed my life because I was inspired not only by the story and the journey, which I think he still is going, but also about the fact that it made me rethink my music and it made me realize that this is now my time to really do what I haven't been able to do. And so I'm going to go for it. I'm going to play the viola. I'm going to write like crazy and I'm going to form a group and I'm just going to do anything I can to make music in- exciting and fulfilling again. That's what I want.
1: You seem to have such a strong and clear like purpose, a clear why, which yeah. we know with ADHD is so important. When we have that clear why it's connected to something that we are truly passionate about and love doing. I mean, that makes just everything that we do so much easier.
0: But eighty, she is. still
1: does. You know, look around the corners of those spaces. It does.
0: <laughs> it does. <laughs> so I'm talking about the thing in the head. It's still there, and I have to fight it because remember when I was young, there was a lot of insecurities, and I feared almost performing and going to my lessons because I had a very difficult piano teacher used to kick me out of my lessons, and she was another difficult situation in my life. Um, And so all those things together almost in a way I called scarred me because I had to fight beyond that. And I'm still doing it in a way, but I'm trying.
1: (laughs) I had, so I'm, I'm a self-taught musician, Uh, Uh, played (laughs) piano uh, my entire life. Although I did have a very short stint of uh, piano lessons and I was probably like five or six years old. And I remember the teacher. Her name was Mrs. Blackman. She was the meanest teacher. <laughs> I mean, like for for a, an <laughs> undiagnosed kid with ADHD who loved playing the piano but just wanted to play what I wanted to play. When I wanted right. to play it and I wanted to play it. Right. Right. And like I didn't like reading music, come on, who has time for that? Right? I just like, play it for me a couple times and I, and I got it, right? <laughs> and I remember her, she had a ruler and she would like, probably, if I did something wrong, she would like smack you with the keys or like, I was like frightened of her. She was, <laughs> oh my, and, and so I still to this day don't know how to read music, uh, which is something I really wish I didn't know how to do for the point of writing. It right. was one of the things that in my, because I used to, when I was probably in college, more, I used to write a lot of music, um, kind of very folk oriented, um, uh, kind of stuff, and you know, I would kind of just say like I, you know, I'm very improvisational, like I, I, you know, when I play a song that I've written, I don't, I never really play it the same way twice, and then as I've learned more and more about my ADHD, I realize the reason I don't play it the same way twice is because I can't remember exactly the way I played it. And, <laughs> and so,
2: you know, it's the improvisation
1: is the, you know, it's like happy accidents, right? It's, right. um, but, right. you know, and I had so many songs that I had written, like um, 90% of the song or like um, had, like, I, I just couldn't figure out like a bridge or something and I just moved on. <laughs> like, you know, and, and it's, yeah. and, I, and, and I keep trying to come back to it, um, to. Spend more time on the music because it's it. You know, out of all the things in my life that I do, when I'm really in that that group of playing it. music. It's, it's
0: such a great, it's such a great way there, to relax. And, there
1: is nothing that makes my brain feel more on than when, when I right. am like, I can, I can physically feel the electrical activity in my brain. Like I, <laughs> I, I have facial muscle twitches that go on, right. like when, when I'm playing, you know, and it's, it's just, connect, right. everything is connecting. It's um, amazing.
0: It's amazing thing. By the way, my piano teacher was like your piano teacher (laughs) and she was from Juilliard. And let me tell you, not only did she kick me out of lessons, but in the notebooks I saved it. Matter of fact, she wrote big red letters and exclamation points and underlines. I said, this woman has a lot of anger. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I saved it because I just thought it would be an interesting thing to save. But, uh, I, but. And also, just to say one more thing about the piano teacher, 40 years later, I had a dream about her. As I was right doing research about Rudy, I said, okay, I have a dream. I need to go with it. So I went back to see her. She was 86 at the time. She remembered me. She said, I remember your voice. She didn't want to talk about the piano too much. But I went to her apartment (laughs) in New York. Nothing Nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. She had the same apartment, the same piano. Everything was exactly laid out the same. And she looked the same in a way. But I needed to let go of my past. And I thought I needed to go, which I did. I went back to my childhood places, and I went back to her. She handed me some piano exercises, and I thought, "Why, <laughs> you know, why would you do that?" So I sent him back to her. I was polite, but I thought now I can finally let go of this. I had to wait forty years, but I did it. Wow! <laughs> so, what, I mean, so
1: in addition to to uh, sort of digging through a lot of the stuff with with Rudy. What, right. what, what's been this drive that you've been so sort of insatiably curious and interested about your past?
0: Yes. So I'll tell you what that was. The past was very important for me because I had a lot of issues with my family. Uh, they were not particularly, uh, endearing sometimes. Okay. They made me feel guilty. They were, kind of narcissistic actually. And they were difficult people. So I needed to go through my therapy to get let go of that. And my feeling was one day I went into my closet in my music room and I saw something of my mother's and I said, you know what? I don't want this anymore. And so I started to throw it all out. And then I went back to old family movies. I figured I need to see and understand all of it. Mm. And then I went back to my childhood places and I felt that this would be... uh almost cleansing for me. And so once I did that, then I felt that I could go on and I could have a clear head to compose. That's what that was all about. So then I started to, you know, write and research Rudy all happening kind of at the same time, but I needed to just get rid of that other stuff.
1: You know, they say that uh, a later in life diagnosis, it doesn't change our past, but it does change our understanding of the past.
0: Yes, yes. And it sounds like you've really,
1: really dug in deep that understanding.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think you have to, because unless you unearth all of that, then you're not going to be where you are with your thinking. And, and I wanted to feel the way I wanted to feel. I wanted to think the way I wanted to think. And I felt that I couldn't let anything get in the way of that and obstruct it. That was, that was it for me. Hmm. It was one of those moments, you know?
1: <laughs> so you've been doing, doing a lot of work on, on, on yeah. yourself. And it sounds like you're really enjoying life right now.
0: I am. I am. I just can't believe it because I'm thinking I've never been this productive in my life. And, I just feel so empowered. I guess that's the word. Yeah. Empowered and just feel so grateful. But also what it's done too, Eric, is that it's now let me get other people on board with my life. So by that I mean I have a teacher now as part of my group now. And i now have relationships with my second cousins and I'm sharing my music with other people who are now on board with playing with me. And it's just been, it's kind of branched out into other things. And that's been the beauty of it for me.
1: Hmm. Did you go through any period of, of sort of grief around the diagnosis? Like the, the sort of, um, you know, depression or sadness around uh, all that lost time of not knowing?
0: Well, it was hard. I mean, it was hard. I think more than anything, more than weighing on that, I was just interested in getting started. That's what I felt like. I said, I can't belabor this because it's not going to do me any good. I did tell my parents and they had Something to say like, Oh, if only we had known, you know, that sort of thing. But I felt that I needed to say it to them. But I think once I knew that I was getting what I needed from the medication, I felt there was no way to go back anymore. This is it. Just moving forward. You mm. know, that was, that was it. But it is, it's, so I think for me, Eric, the, the most important thing is to just, just be as, as I said, productive as I can, because in a way I'm making up for lost time, but I feel there's so much stuff there that I need to release. And that's what I'm trying to do now.
1: You know, wow, sounds like you're uh, quite, quite prolific. in, in am <laughs> <trying>. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. Um, all right. Let's take a, a quick break. When we come back, um, uh, let like me dive into maybe some of your process, as well as how you manage some of the challenges that certainly do you come with. Having ADHD. Okay. All right. We will be right back. If you are new to this podcast, I want you to know that we have two other podcasts on the ADHD rewired podcast network. Check out hacking your ADHD with will curb every Monday. Join Willis. He explores ways that you can work with your ADHD brain to do more of the things that you want to do. The latest episode that came out yesterday is about building gratitude. Check out his latest podcast and subscribe to these short, mindful ways to hack your ADHD. It might be the best 15 minutes you spend all week. Go to HackingYourADHD.com for show notes and to subscribe. And every Friday, check out ADHD Essentials with Brendan Mahan. Brendan's podcast is kind of like this one with a focus on families, parents, and educators. And you can go to ADHDessentials.com slash parent groups to learn more about Brendan's parent groups. Both podcasts, Hacking Your ADHD and ADHD Essentials are both part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. Available to everyone, everywhere you consume podcasts. And you can join me and the host of Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb, and the host of ADHD Essentials, Brenda Mahan, for an hour of live Q&A, October 13th at 1 30 p.m. Eastern. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events to register for this and upcoming live Q&As. Join us every Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern for an hour of live Q&A. Or just for free at ADHDrewired.com slash events. That's ADHDrewired.com slash events. Or just come to our website and click on the events tab at the top of the page. Join us for our next live Q&A on Tuesday, October 13th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. We hope to see you there. And if you want to ask us a question, please be in a quiet space and lock up your kids. I mean, put them in a place where it's quiet so we can hear your question clearly. That's ADHD Rewired.com slash events. All right, we are back with Sharon Rockman. All right, so Sharon, tell us a little bit about like some of the some of the challenges with ADHD that you still experience and how you manage those. Yes.
0: So I think for me the the largest one actually is what we had spoken about before, almost like the OCD component, which is fighting this kind of negativity. Because I did have so much negativity growing up that that adds to the issue. And so I feel sometimes almost worried sometimes about doing the right thing, like even at my lessons, I want to, I want to be, not only do well for me, but also do well for my teacher. And because of that, it puts a lot of pressure on me. And that makes me feel sometimes very uptight It doesn't let me relax and Mm -hmm. actually enjoy the music that I should be enjoying. And that's sometimes a struggle. And I go back and forth with this. This is no easy answer. I try to talk to myself a little bit. I try to understand that it's really about music. It's I'm not studying to be you know, uh, a, to, to have a debut at Carnegie Hall. I just want to just enjoy it. And I have to let go sometimes of that, let my guard down, so to speak, and just enjoy what I'm doing. And that's always that kind of fight that goes on with me. That's the hardest thing for me now.
1: Do you think some of it is like a, almost a like perfectionism? Um, that, that, yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yes. Yes, because I do expect a lot of myself. Unfortunately, I couldn't achieve the way I wanted when I was younger. But now, uh, I'm, I'm getting to that place where, I mean, I'm getting what I want, but there are those moments, especially with performance or even having a lesson, because it's important to me to do the best I can. And when I feel like I've, I haven't for some reason, even though the teacher thinks I have, Many times over, I don't see it I don't see what I have that's mm. that's the problem. I don't appreciate it sometimes mm.
1: yeah. and that to me is that that's the intersection of the you know unrecognized ADHD and all the, the feedback we've gotten uh, over years right. and years um, right. so since you are still taking lessons and, and so you <laughs> you practice, do you now like are you pretty regimented about your
0: practice? I am every day. Every day. And I never knew what it was like to practice for two hours, but I said, wow, this is great. So I practice an hour and a half to two hours every day, and I'm prepared for my lessons. Um And now what's happened out of this is an outgrowth of my lessons. I've written 20 viola duets. So I want to actually publish those because my teacher and I really enjoy the duet experience. And I love to go to a lesson and have something new to play with her. Uh, and we're actually working together, editing, doing all of that to kind of prepare for some sort of publishing thing, if we can do it. But that's, that's the whole idea. I, I've gone in a lot of different directions here, but I think that, it, it, I just have to again, just go easy on myself sometimes and say it's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to just, you know, just play, just play and enjoy. And, and that's something I still have to overcome in many ways. Um, and I wish I could because I envy, let's say this, the people who can get up on a stage in Carnegie Hall or Steinway Hall and play in front of you know, thousands of people and feel so utterly relaxed about it. I said, how is that possible? I would love that, Hmm. you know, but that's the one thing I envy. But if I could just go to my lesson and feel, and I'm getting there, I'm getting there, but it is a struggle sometimes.
1: So um, going back to to practicing, so you you practice an hour and a half to two hours a day. Um, Do you do it at like the same time every day? No, no,
0: no. I go in and out. So sometimes I'll practice something and say, you know what? I mean, then I get in the mood to play later on in the day. I go there several times during the day, like I do with my music. I just, you know, play something I really love. And then I say, you know what? I think I'm going to play it later on, maybe before bedtime, because I just really enjoy it. It's The thing is, I've learned so much. Um, and also the experience of having played the cello. And the piano has helped me to really uh, learn this instrument. And the funny thing about all this is, Eric, it's in a different clef. It's an alto clef, the viola. So it's a note away from the G clef. I feel very comfortable. When I first picked it up, I would say the first even few months, I knew where my fingers should go. It was almost like I just knew where they should go. And... It felt very comfortable for me. And maybe it's because I've taken other instruments, but I just felt that this was so important that I make that connection, not only with Rudy, but also to just have something who would have known at age 66, starting a new instrument. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is, that is something. Um, hmm.
0: It's possible. That's the other thing. It's possible to, to learn an instrument, even to go back when you were like eight or nine and people quit, they should go back because all that stuff they retain. It's still there. That's the thing that people don't realize. Everything you've learned is still there. You have to, you have to pull it out, but yeah, it's still there. Test it off it's a
1: little bit. Yeah. So what about other things that are not, uh, music related, uh, how how do you get by with stuff? That's whether it's, uh, you know, um, housekeeping, paying bills, uh, you know, those, (laughs) those kinds of like stuff that, you know, we're supposed to be able to do as adults.
0: Yeah. So I do, I'm doing all of that. So I'm doing, uh, I actually help my husband in his practice a little bit. So I have that paperwork to do. And, um, then I do the cleaning and I'm doing cooking for two guys and that's a lot of work, uh, and shopping. And, um, I don't know what else I just feel like, um, and reading in between. So I would say that's how I fill my days. I mean, it goes, the day really goes, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know?
1: So I'm trying to get a, a other than uh, having sort of difficulty with focusing prior to the the diagnosis and, and prior to uh, your your seven or eight year stint on medication, what were some of the other like challenges that that you had?
0: Right. Well, I would say there were two things besides the ADHD. The other thing was again living in a very dysfunctional family, and of course that added to the stress of having ADHD and feeling that I just, I didn't feel like I had a purpose. I felt like I didn't have self-worth sometimes. I felt that I couldn't accomplish things that I wanted so desperately to do. And there was no one else in the family that I could talk to. And that was hard. And so what I did is finally, I knew something was not right with all of this. And I also appreciated that there were issues with my parents um, that I sought help. I sought help uh, when I was in junior high school. They had a free, you know, kind of service there. And I went to talk to somebody just to understand that it wasn't me that was behind all this, that there were other factors that were making me very unhappy. I used to hang out in my closet being very depressed. Um, I felt there was no hope sometimes. It was really very hard for me. I just, uh, sometimes I felt like I wanted to run away. Um, I, I couldn't get a grasp on any of this. And that's when I realized that I needed to, first of all, get rid of the guilt, and deal with the family issues. But there were a lot of things involved in here. This was a, years and years, a lifetime actually of therapy on and off. And I got to the other side of it, but it was uh, something that I had to commit to because otherwise I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So.
1: Huh. <laughs> so you're, you know, I so I'm going to be 40 this year. I, wow. Which to me is like, <laughs> when did that happen? Because so, uh, I still like, in, like my my, I still feel like I'm 20. Right? What's, what's, you the, are. What, <laughs> how is it for you? What's it? What's it like to be 70?
0: I can't even imagine. Honestly, when I say that, I don't, I don't appreciate that. It doesn't feel like that to me at all, because. I guess there are 70-year-olds who feel like they're really getting on and they have no energy and they can't do anything. For me, it's like I'm just starting. You're
1: looking your so, phone right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so I don't think of it as a number at all mm. because I know there were times when I was 40 or 50 that I felt that I couldn't go on. And you know what I mean? So mm. I felt like I was being really held back and I felt really... um you know, that even though I was 40, 50 and not very old, then in some ways I did feel old. You know, I felt that things were not possible for me. And I don't think it's a matter of number at all. I think it's your attitude. I think it's what you want to do. It's not an age factor at all. That's the way I feel about it.
1: You know, Mm.
0: How about you? 40 is not old. 40 is young
1: yeah you know it's it's when I remember thinking when I was a kid that like forty is how old my parents are like and like and my parents are are old when you were a kid you know so it's um it's weird like i don't I don't feel forty but it's it's um i think for me uh when I think about um just sort of like uh my life and kind of where where I'm at right now um especially uh with I have a uh, my my dad who twenty five or six years ago had a very serious uh, brain injury and it's left him with a lot of a lot of uh, impairments. Um, I was that that life is too short to not do the stuff right. you want to do and to That's it. and That's so life it. life is meant to be enjoyed and yes um, yes yeah.
0: But you can't help when it comes. This is the did my last comment yeah. is that we don't have control of when it comes, and the point is that. If it does come and we're lucky for it to come, then we have to grab that opportunity because it doesn't always come when we're 25, even though we'd love it to. But then you say, if it comes at 25, sometimes people get too much at 25 and then the rest of their life, they don't know what to do with themselves. So it's all, you know, it's all a matter of when it comes and when it's possible because we can't control that. And I think there's times when I say to myself, now I'm ready. I wasn't ready before. That's the way I feel about it.
1: Mm. You know. <laughs> no, it's, it's heavy. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I think it's it's really gives kind of pause for for contemplation, and um, yeah. uh, it just makes us realize, as you know, kind of the with the the focus of this conversation, that like it, it is really never too late. It's never, never too late, late right? Never doesn't too late. doesn't matter kind of what hole you're in right now, right? right. It's like pause right and each decision you make after that can change the direction from where you are now to where you could be
0: right and that's the point i'm ready now because i've done all that work i prepared for it it took me a lifetime but the point is that's when i needed to do this now because that's when rudy came into my life it was all because i had worked toward that and now it's now it's happening you know hopefully for a while, but we'll see. But I would love to continue to do it.
1: Uh, Sharon Ruckman, is there anything else that you would like to (laughs) share uh, with with listeners? And uh, also, please, if you would share with how uh, how people can kind of find out more about you and maybe hear some of your music.
0: Oh, sure. So if anyone is interested, I have tons of music, including tango dancing uh, with my tango music. I have a lot of my recent album that I just did MP3s of... Uh, jazz, blues, uh, rock. It's just a combination of things. Uh, you can see it all on www.sharonruckman, R-U-C-H-M-A-N dot com. And, uh, I feel very grateful to be on the show. And I thank you so much for letting me be here. And also to say to the audience to follow your dreams, to follow your dreams. Whenever that happens, follow them.
1: Sharon sure, Ruckman, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us and, uh. Thank you. We will, uh, we'll let the music play. This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is a more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is adhdrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. You can apply to our free and secret Facebook community. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired's intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. While you're there, click the Patreon button. If you're a regular listener and you're still listening to my voice, consider making a monthly contribution by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. If you are able to financially support my work, it would mean a lot. This show is free to listeners, but it is not free to produce. And patrons get really cool perks. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tivers. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ADHD Rewired. If you're a coach, therapist, or related professional, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Eric Tivers. You can also subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and you can subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and see select interviews and some other videos I've posted. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends and your family and your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. If you're a coach, therapist, doctor, or ADHD support group leader and you would like a pack of podcast postcards to hand out, you can request those at my website, ADHDrewired.com. And if you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, please be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. You know, you might be the person that turns somebody on a podcast for the very first time. And if you really love this episode, please consider hitting share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things that you can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or any other podcast app that accepts ratings and reviews. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast on your podcast app so new episodes episodes are automatically pushed to your favorite podcast app looking for more ways to listen and learn get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ADHD rewired not sure where to start in no particular order check out Atomic Habits by James Clear The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk 10% Happier and Meditation for frigidity Skeptics. These are both by Dan Harris. Change Your Questions and Change Your Life by Marilee G. Adams. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Do you have trouble asking for help? Listen to The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It's one of the best produced arty looks I've ever heard. If you're looking for something a little bit more, say, magical... I unexpectedly fell in love with the Harry Potter series, and I don't usually listen to those kinds of books, and I loved it. And of course, if you haven't yet boarded the Brene Brown bus yet, check out Brene Brown's books starting with The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, The Power of Vulnerability. And if you're an entrepreneur or a leader in any capacity, check out her 2018 book, Dare to Lead. And Brene still is my most wanted guest. So if you know Brene, and he would be so kind to make that connection for me, I would be really, really grateful. You know who else I would like to have on the show? You. Click the podcast tab at ADHDrewired.com, and then click the Be a Guest button at the top of that page and schedule a 15-minute pre-interview. This is Eric Tibbers reminding you to keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. Self-care is not selfish, and no matter what gets done or doesn't get done, at the end of the day, you are still enough. And no matter how hard it feels, we can do our things. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.